I'd like you to stand with me, and we're going to turn in the Word of God to Matthew 28. We're going to read the, the final verses of the chapter, all, all uh, five of them, but concentrating on verse 18. 16 and 17 just introduce the fact that when Jesus speaks, it seems he's speaking up in Galilee to the disciples. It may well be that he's come back down to Bethany where he ascends to heaven. We don't know where. But just to give the background, we're reading 16 and 17 and then 19 and 20, but 18 is our primary uh, focus this morning. The word of God. But the 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had designated. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Now I want to read that again. Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to keep all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Raise your hands with me if you're able, please. Father, bless your word. May it bear fruit in our lives. May my lips be faithful to it. May you, by the Holy Spirit, convict us through it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Last week I was talking with a group of men because I complained about being called founding pastor. I said, that's not a title I want. Someone suggested, well, pastor emeritus. I said, no, I don't like that one either. I like assistant pastor. But they were rebelling and rejecting my word. And there was a group of them. And it was in, included Matthew French and, and Jeremy Highland. I don't remember who else was there. And Matthew French suggested, well, maybe you could just put down on the website, it's complicated. And uh, that's, that's the best, probably, that's the best thing that we could do. It's complicated and, and not say any more. Well, I want to talk to you this, this morning about a thing that is, uh, that is a thing that you have an it's complicated relationship to, and that's authority. When it comes to authority, we have theory, and then we have fact. We have what the Bible says, and then how we construe it. When it comes to authority, I think many of us would say, well, it's complicated. Yes, but it's complicated. No, it's not. It's simple. It simply requires faith to accept, but it is simple. And so this morning out of this passage, I want us to think together about the importance of this message that Jesus delivers here. That's by way of introduction. And then the nature of authority, the source of authority, and the obligations of Christ's authority, all right? The nature, the source of all authority, and then the obligation of Christ's authority. But first, it's probably worthwhile by way of introduction to to make clear to you that Matthew could have written a lot of things about the 40 days that Jesus 
spent with his disciples between his resurrection and his ascension into heaven. No doubt many things were taught in those days, many things said, many eureka moments. I get it now, I get it. Many wonderful moments. But Matthew does not spend time on those moments. He really doesn't. John spends a fair bit of time. Mark and Luke spend a little more than Matthew. But, but Matthew, I don't know if we'd say this is a summary or if this is a specific instance. Matthew writes that uh, when they saw him, they worshipped, but some doubted, and Jesus came up and spoke to them, which sounds like it's actually an approach to the disciples who are doubting and he comes up to them and so it may be a summary statement because this may be the content of these 40 days but it also seems like it was an actual moment in time when Jesus is approaching and being approached by the disciples up in Galilee in which they're at least at some level doubting and he comes to them and says to them what they must know and and then Matthew leaves it at that he doesn't go beyond this is all he tells about what Jesus said and so it's in indisputable that this is significant now is there any part of the Bible that's not significant uh, no, really there isn't. But this is a significant passage. These words are what Jesus wanted to their, the essence of what he wants his disciples, and that includes you and me, to understand about the kingdom of God. This is a statement. Luke in Acts says, and this is kind of his summary of those days and what Jesus taught, Jesus spoke of the things concerning the kingdom of God. That's about all Luke tells us in Acts about that period of time, those four days. Jesus spoke of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Matthew tells us that Jesus spoke about authority, his authority. And then out of speaking about his authority, he gives a charge. And then out of the charge, he speaks again with a promise. So you have, in a sense, if I, can, if I can speak to you of parts of grammar without bothering you too much, we have an indicative statement, which is, this is what is. It's just a statement of what is. It's actually in the past tense, but it's a simple statement of what is, or was, and now is still. Then there's an imperative that flows from it. Therefore, because this is, you must, all right? And that's, that's so common in life that you know exactly how this works. You know, your dad is coming home. Get the toys out of the living room. The indicative, the imperative. And then you have, because this imperative is a challenging one, you have a statement about the future from now into the future, which is a promise that, that I will never leave you, all right? So you have the indicative, you have the imperative, and then you have the promise. And we're looking this morning at the statement of fact that precedes the command. That's what we have. It's kind of a sandwich. 
all three of these things make up a sandwich, the indicative, the command that comes out of the statement of fact, and then the promise. But these are, in essence, the words of Jesus, the teaching about the kingdom of God, the things concerning the kingdom of God that fill up these 40 days. This is what he wants us to know. This is what he wants us to do. This is the promise he gives us to help us through these times. Now, no doubt Jesus repeated this in a variety of ways and on a variety of occasions during those 40 days, but this is the essence of it. So I want to turn from this introduction, which I hope has emphasized the importance of these words of Christ and the significance of them to us, because this is everything we need to know. This is what we need to know about the kingdom, the things concerning the kingdom of God. That all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus Christ. Therefore, go ye and I will be with you. This is what Jesus wants you to know. If you know this and incorporate this into your heart and life, you understand authority, you understand the kingdom of God, you understand your calling, you understand your strength, you are primed and ready to go. So the source, or the, excuse me, the nature of authority. And authority is a thing that we have a complicated relationship to and that we generally avoid thinking about because if we think about authority, it becomes something that convicts us and makes us feel bad about our attitudes and brings us to a little sense of nervousness very often because actually we don't like authority. Um, we tend to rebel against authority. We don't like the workers who have authority, whether they're at work over us or whether they're in the civil sphere in the government. We, we, we are not people who embrace authority. Some years ago, um, a, a man who is part of our, our church life today came to me and he said he was thinking about coming to our church. He said he wanted to be a part of our church, but he had told me he had struggled in embracing becoming a part of the church because he said as a man who had been in the military, he understood authority. And he said he wasn't sure he wanted to embrace the authority of the church. And that man then embraced membership and he said I understand I'm coming under authority and he's a man I can talk to straight up you know many people here I, I have to go three times around the block if I want to talk to you about something I'm concerned about this man is one of those few men that you can go straight to and say it and he listens and responds he understands authority what Jesus wants is for you all, all of us, to understand authority, to grasp authority. We don't think about authority, and often we don't think about where it is derived from in the nature of it. On earth, authority has over time been understood to be derived from a variety of sources. Where does authority come from? If we were to step back in time to a thousand years ago, 
We would live in an era when authority, at least on earth, was understood to be derived from God. And thus, those who were in authority over us, the kings of the world, were said to possess the divine right of kings. It was based on the understanding of passages like this in the word of God that say that authority is God's and he gives it to men and that men are thus to be obeyed because God has given them their authority. With the rise of Christianity, with the um, advent of the papacy, which really wasn't a, a significant part of Christianity until the four or five or six hundreds AD, it became a, a serious question where authority lay in the world. Now, let me say that prior to Christianity, the source of authority was said to be the gods. And the king was worshipped because he was what? Because he had the genius, it was called, the inner spirit, the character of the gods. So Caesar Augustus, Augustus means august, great and mighty, a term applied to deity. When Caesar claimed the name Augustus, what he was saying is, I am a god. Nor was, uh, this was not unique to Caesar. Many emperors prior to Caesar claimed to be divine. In the Bible, you see Nebuchadnezzar calling all people to worship himself. It was common, it was frequent. The claim of the emperor was that he was a deity, that he was divine. And in, in certain cultures, that remained with the, the, the kings and the emperors until the mid-1900s at least. So Emperor Hirohito of Japan was understood to be divine. You may not remember that. You may not have been aware of that, but that was a key issue in the, in the peace accords with Japan that the emperor had to give up his claim to divinity. MacArthur and the American government insisted on this, that the emperor is not divine. So this idea that there is deity in the emperor has been around, but with the, the coming of Christianity, this was not a, a tenable position, especially as Christianity claimed the Roman world. It was not possible to say that the emperor was divine because there was one divine man, and that was Jesus. And so the papacy arose, the, the power of the church, and centered in Rome, and after Constantine in the next centuries, the papacy became the most powerful institution on earth by far. And it wielded authority. And it said, all authority comes from God. I am God's regent on earth. I am God's vicar on earth. I work in his place. And therefore, I crown the kings. And the pope would crown the kings. Charlemagne was the holy Roman emperor because he was chosen by God's hand through the pope. That's why he's called the holy Roman emperor. The Pope would crown the kings. And that was, um, that was very much the case. So that the kings were said to, 
they have the divine right of kings. They were chosen by God, and they had authority because they were of God. It was for a thousand years, the theory. But in the life of Europe, and we're talking mainly about the Western world, you know, it's very difficult for me to talk about India and Asia and those countries because I don't know their history, but the Christian church really came into, into, its, into its potency in the Western world and then spread throughout. So we are talking about the church, not just the Western world. In the Western world, the overall reign of the Pope came under attack with Martin Luther. And I'm going to speak more about this in a bit. Martin Luther was a great reformer. He was also, if you want to look at it um, pragmatically, aided in his reformation by a number of princes, a number of, of powers in, in Germany and across Europe who really wanted to be free from the Pope's authority. It's, it's incontrovertible that Frederick the Elector, the prime defender of Luther and others were, were eager for a chance to get away from the authority and the control of the Pope and the main emperors that the Pope would choose. So they saw Luther as giving them a chance to reject papal authority. That did not mean that they were giving up the divine right of kings. They still claimed that divine right, but it became severed from the authority of the Pope. It became something they had because they were born to it. That idea did not last as long as the previous idea of the divine right of kings being established by the pope choosing them that idea quickly came under attack within a couple centuries by the enlightenment by the american and french revolutions which said why should a man simply born to an office control all of our lives that's not fair and following up on the the English system of the Magna Carta and common law of England, they said the authority that rules our lives should have potency, should be an authority over us, not because there's some divine right, but because this person is chosen and consented to by the people they govern. And so instead of authority coming from the top down, God through the Pope to the king, with the American and French Revolution, the idea became that authority comes from the bottom up. Now, not necessarily, especially with the, the, early, uh, the early Democrats or dem advocates of democracy in the United States and in Great Britain, not necessarily denying that God was at work, but God was working now through the bottom, through the people to choose leadership. And that the source of authority was thus the will of the people. Now, these are the ideas that the, that the king is a god, that the king is chosen by the instrument of God, the divine right of kings, that the king or the ruler, it's no longer a king if it's chosen by the people, that the ruler is 
has authority by the will of the people, the consent of those governed. But there is, of course, the fourth idea that's expressed by Chairman Mao, which really is the cynical idea, and I think the idea behind all of these. And Chairman Mao, how many of you know what Mao said about a political power and authority? What, what did he say? Yeah, he says it grows out of the barrel of a gun. And that really is very much the idea of most people. If I have a gun, I have authority. It's my strength, my power, and the ability to, to force my will and to inflict harm if my will is not followed is the source of authority. And I, I think that has been, has that idea, whether or not acknowledged, has lain at the root of much, many claims of authority by kings, by others, that that really is the cynical idea. But political authority, and we're talking about the nature of authority, political authority is not, the, is not the only form of authority, nor is it even the most significant in our lives. Nor does Jesus say he possesses an authority that is earthly alone. He says there's authority that governs heaven and earth, and certainly except for those monarchs who claim to be divine, authority as we see it today in the, govern, in the civil sphere is not an authority that governs heaven. But Jesus says all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now you know that your lives are not subject only to political authority. There is much authority beyond the political realm that you are subject to, though you may not recognize it, you are subject to the authority of the, of the workings of this earth. We call them laws. They're not laws. God didn't establish a law, promulgate, you know, a decree. Uh, he just made the earth to work in certain ways. So reliable, so powerful that we call them the laws of nature. And so you reside under the laws of nature. And it is easier for you to fight against the king and his civil authority than for you to fight gravity. Gravity wins every time. Not the king every time. You are subject to the physical laws of the world, which you have not created and you do not control. To night and day, to rain and sun, you don't rule them, they rule us. We're subject to the patterns of the solar system, the works of nature that we call acts of God, but really don't think are acts of God today, earthquakes, floods, tornadoes. You are subject even to mosquitoes. You can't control the mosquito. The mosquitoes control you. And if you don't believe me, come with me to the Boundary Waters in June, and I'll prove it. All right? You're subject to the chipmunks. You fight the chipmunks, and you lose, right? You're subject to bears and bees, to the creatures of earth, you are subject to rhythms you have not created, and despite your best efforts, you cannot control menstruation, cycles, fertility, nine months of pregnancy, growing old, graying hair, and one day death, your body's wearing out, and you are not in control. Now, we may say that these things happen without control and under no authority, but this is simply denying what any outside observer 
outside our universe would declare is obvious. If you look from outside our universe at our universe, you'd say, well, there's authority everywhere. There are principles, there are rules, there are governing things that, that control our universe all throughout it. We live in a day that hates authority, um, and probably in a particular way, not in the way that everyone always hates it. And one of the, the evidences of our hatred of authority is the advance of evolutionary theory, which seeks to deny the authority of God over the universe and make the process the authority. So the process itself is the authority. But you know, that process depends on certain established physical principles. In other words, when scientists go to look for a, a solar system, that might have life on it, what do they always look for? Well, a sun, right? With planets that rotate around it, with moderate enough temperatures to allow life to survive, carbon on that planet, so there's carbon-based life forms. But just speaking honestly, from outside the perspective of this universe, who said life requires carbon? And why can't photosynthesis work through darkness rather than light? You understand the kinds of things I'm saying? So something has established these governing rules. They're all established. Something gives matter being. Something still governs matter. So wherever we attribute authority, whether we give it the chance processes, to laws of processes like the process of evolution, there is still an absolute authority that says this is the way. This is what Jesus is claiming here. Absolute authority, underived authority, implicit authority over heaven and earth in all things rests in his hands. It is, it is absolute authority, not derived. All other authority, Jesus is saying, is derived. All other authority is authority because it, he's given it the power to be authority. Now, this is where the rubber hits the road and where we really think it gets complicated because this means that there's no authority in the military of the United States. Inherent authority, absolute authority. And there's no authority in Washington, D.C., inherent and absolute. There's no authority at the UN. There's no authority in your home. There's no authority in Satan and demons. There's no authority in angels inherently and absolutely. It is all derived from God. This is indisputable and inescapable. Authority is from God. And so we've talked about the nature of authority, but I want to speak more clearly here about what Jesus says. Jesus says, I have been given all authority. I've been given all authority. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And this is what Jesus says, you must know to obey him, to affect his will, to advance his kingdom on earth. I have all authority in me. All authority is mine in heaven and on earth. It's not a statement that's a statement of hope. It's not a statement of something he expects to happen. 
It's aorist, intense, which means that it's an accomplished fact. It is done. It is completed. It's passive voice, which means it's been done to me. Jesus says, it's been done to me. I have received all authority. The very verb indicates the Father doing the thing. Who can give to God? Christ is God. Who can give to the Son of God? Who can give to the one who Scripture says is the giver of every good gift? Only God can give to God. Only God the Father can give to Christ the Son. So we have here an indication of the importance of Christ's accomplished work, the thing he did on Calvary. Before his incarnation, before he took on human flesh, he had all things. Everything was his. Nothing that was made had been made without him. He and the Father were one, one in glory, one authority, one in majesty. David says to God, but who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer as generously as this? For all things come from you, he says to God, and from your hand we have given to you. In other words, when we give something to God, it's only something that he first gave us. So make no mistake, the, the baby Jesus lying in a manger, that little infant of the stable, the Jesus who grew up and was punished by his parents and learned obedience from the things he suffered, that's what Hebrews says, not that he sinned, but he had to learn not to go across the street and things, what the sidewalk meant. The Jesus who was mocked and scorned by the authorities, the Jesus of the cross, is no longer the Jesus we serve. His days of humiliation and suffering are past. The days of his human weakness are over. The price has been paid. The cross has had its moment and its temporary victory. And now all is glory for Christ because he has been given all authority. So I want to speak to you about what this means for you. What does the nature of authority coming from God, the source of authority, all authority resting in Christ, what does this mean for you? There are certain obligations that come to us as a result of this. The first is that because Jesus has established all authority, you must respect authority. You don't have the right to say, I don't like this authority. You have the right, and you can think it, but you don't have the right to act on it. Jesus has given his authority. All authority under heaven is given by God, the scriptures tell us. Does this mean you don't work to counteract bad authority? Well, we certainly see examples in the Bible of people like Abigail working to counteract the, the evil authority of those they're under, like Abigail with her husband Nabal, who was a fool and who 
threatened all their lives by his insults to King David. And so we see that. We also see David, who's anointed king, refusing to take up his sword to raise his hand against the anointed king, King Saul, despite Saul's numerous attempts to kill him. And if ever anyone had the right to rebel against authority, it would be David. No, more so. If ever anyone had a right to despise authority and turn against it, it's Jesus on trial before Herod, Pilate, and most especially the chief priests of the Jews. But he did not do it. So remember, the call of the Bible is uniformly to respect authority, to heed authority, not to blow it off, to trust God who established that authority to work for your good through that authority. Thus, if authority harms me, it comes ultimately from the authority of God. And it is for my good. And I will embrace it. This is what led the martyrs to give up their lives without fighting, without rebelling. We're no wiser than the martyrs, no more righteous. If they could live this way and win this way, so can you. Second, and I speak now to those of you who claim Christ as your Savior. And who maybe have been part of a church for a long time. In conservative Christian circles today, perhaps it's always been the case, but I know it's the case today. The emphasis is on obtaining authority. And so we think, wow, it's a wicked day. I'm, I'm going to fight against this in, in my way by doing certain things that will gain me authority. Some years ago, we had a man who, many of you may remember, Joel Belts speak in our church. Joel Belts was the editor and founder of World Magazine. Some of you may know it. Joel was here, and, and after, after speaking in our church, he was at someone's house for dinner, and we were talking. And he said that over his decades of being a Christian leader, he had come to want to write a book. And the title of the book would be The, the Myth of Influence. What he said is that over his years, he'd known many, many young men who had said, and it would be young women as well, he said in the, our circles, young men who had said, I'm working to gain influence. I'm getting my PhD at Harvard. I'm going to take a big and important church. I am cultivating my influence so that one day I can use this influence for God. Perhaps you've known something similar with, with men who say, I'm, I want to be rich so that I can do things for God with my money. I'm seeking to be wealthy. 
you know what I'm speaking about. What Joel said is, the problem is, these men who seek to, to gain influence, authority, keep on throughout their lives seeking more and more influence and authority and never actually use it. They're accumulators, but never users. And the reason they don't use it is that they have a false idea about authority. Let me tell you, authority does not come from education. Authority is not found by money. Authority does not reside in these things. Degrees, fame, money, authority is in Jesus. And the only way to gain authority is to know Jesus and to live for him and to trust him and to use his word. This is the only path to authority. Some of you are running down a very, very wrong path because you're looking for authority and thinking you'll serve Jesus with your authority when instead what you need to do is to look for Jesus and receive from him authority. Finally, I want to speak to those of you who have struggled with God's authority and who may not have embraced it at this point in your life, who have rejected it. Submit to God. He is the perfect authority. Submission to him leads you into a life where all things work together for good, including all the hard things of life because we are children of the one who governs the universe. Have you come to Christ? Have you claimed him as your savior? Have you said to Jesus, I submit to you? If not, do it now. Come to Christ and submit and taste the real authority of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, even when it hits us and confronts us. I am a rebel. We are rebels, Father, but we ask that we may come under your authority and with the confidence of faith submit to all human authority and not be rebels. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.